All right, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 66, a return from international break. It is beautiful as always. Things are back up and running as well as the State of Play podcast. We have everybody here today. Martino Puccio talking, obviously. Pepperisha and Matt Santangelo are back. Fellas, how you doing? Yeah, Matt's back from his international duty, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. He uh, he said he didn't want to go talk uh, football because there was nothing uh, worthy talking. Not about true. Listen, for the, for those listening, that's that's not he true. He hit nine thousand followers, dog- and he was too I, good to record. No, no. Listen, not. listen. I was on dog duty. I had to make sure I, my dogs were taken care of because they always kind of find their way into some of these episodes. So I had to make sure they were calm, and I didn't want to disrupt our flow here that you guys going. So and it was a great episode, guys. Go check that out if you haven't already done so. But I'm excited to be back and to uh, talk about some club football. Mm. It's been a great, great weekend of football, hasn't it? And I mean, we'll get right into it because the thing in the weekend, the standout performance that's just gone, Erling Haaland, right? I think in the preseason, we've been talking about him as this being his season. I think I saw a few things in the early fixtures at Dortmund, even though he wasn't maybe scoring as many or Dortmund weren't playing as well. He looked like the leader he looked like the alpha in the Dortmund team whereas last season I think everyone was looking to Jaden Sancho whenever was possible and looking to get that overlap to Hakimi whenever possible Uh, and now Dortmund don't really play a different way but it just seems that off the ball and even on the ball Haaland has gotten better Um, his anticipation has somehow gotten, gotten better and I've said this he's probably the best finisher in the world and he's definitely got the best movement in the world in in club football um and those four goals were just, it was just like watching, it was like what, it, it was as if, as if Dortmund were playing a league to English team. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was really, it looked like men against boys. And this is a Hertha Berlin team that are, are not too bad. They've got some very good players, Guendouzi, Mateus Cunha, uh, and so on and so forth. So it was really, really impressive. The best performance in Europe this weekend. Um, you, you guys obviously caught it. Martina, what were your thoughts? I just think that when he plays like that in these matches, I think there's two sides in in the world that could actually beat them. I don't like he's like, what do you do at that point? Like, that's just so impossible to stop. You're right with the movement, too. I think that's the most impressive part. Because that that stuff, you know, that gets very inconsistent over time. And we were always waiting for him because he popped at the at last year, right, in the Champions League. And then they signed him over in January and he's and he continues to play well like that. And we were just waiting for his his lull moment where he struggles to find the back of the net and he's gonna be able to he's gonna have to be able to adapt and, and how does he get back to his form. And it seems like even if he did play slightly poorly for, you know, a couple of weeks he regained that form and even when he was in his down period, he was still scoring and contributing to the club. But now then when he just scores four like that, you're right. Hertha Hertha's obviously invested a ton of money too. It's not like they're, they're some other Bundesliga side that a lot of people just kind of scoff at when they see, Oh, of course, Holland bagged three to four goals against this side. Of course, Messi is scoring against, you know, Alaves or whatever club towards the bottom. The fact is this, no one was scoring four goals like that. The quality of them, the finishing, the confidence. It's really just, he's his own unique player. And that's amazing to see because we have so many players that come around over the years that you always have comps for. And he's like, oh, he plays like this player. He's the Moroccan Messi. He's this, he's that. <laughs> but there isn't anybody like Erling Holland. No, and, no, no, no. And honestly, the the only thing that he has similar to a footballer is his personality trait is there's parallels with Ibra, but that, mm. but that's it. I, I think the speed for a, str- a true striker, I don't think we've really seen since Ronaldo. And that oh, might be, the that might be insane well, right? to say. I think, I think it's really up there. That's how impressive he is. And I'm talking about a true nine, not you know, yeah. guys that w- go out wide and all that, that have that pace. Like a true nine that takes mm. over the game with his movement and the finishing. Like he's right there and he's only getting better. And now it just feels like, Dortmund's going to get robbed for 95 million euros whenever yeah. that release clause is triggered. It feels like they, they're not going to get enough. The same as Salzburg only got 20. So Yeah. I mean, we've said him and Sancho are the best under 21 partnership probably that we've ever seen uh, in football. 
um it's probably fair to say but the other really impressive thing martina and matt matt you can jump in after this because i know i'm going to mention a player that's very close to your heart and that we've been very bullish on on this podcast for the last two years in robert Lewandowski. at the same age robert Lewandowski was playing for lech poznan he didn't move to Dortmund until 22. Mm-hmm. And I know career growth isn't linear, but with strikers, what we're seeing is that like in the modern era, from about 27 to 33 is where they really start hitting their sweet spot. Um, if we look at Harry Kane right now, he's playing uh, his best football for a couple of seasons. Lewandowski mm-hmm. has obviously had five seasons in that, you know, uh, age bracket, 27 to 32, where he scored 40 plus goals a season, which is incredible. Aguero, uh, Suarez, um, all these guys have have really done well. I mean, if you think about where Suarez was at age 20, right? Like it's um it, it's very hard to think about. So like what he's doing at such an age, a young age in a position which is probably the hardest to play number 9 on your own in football. I think it's pretty crazy. Like people need to start realizing how ridiculous what he's doing is. Like I think a lot of people were like, well, okay, he's doing it here and let's wait till he gets into the, the big leagues and does and see if he can do it. And, you know, for me, what I saw at Salzburg was enough because if you're scoring against Napoli, Liverpool and, um, and other teams in Champions League, then that's enough, isn't it? Like, I think he's proven that he is now a top five striker in the world and it feels like it's only a matter of time until he's the best in the world. I agree. I think the one thing I look, I want to speak on real quick, the, the comparison you made between um, the ages of Holland, what he's doing at his age versus what Lewandowski was doing with, with Poznan. And I think it's um, not so much like completely an indication of the times changing, because mm. I think obviously everyone who's watched football knows that the money's different, the landscape's entirely different than it was you know, a decade ago. But I think now we're starting to see um, in the past couple of years specifically that clubs are just more willing to invest in the young player because it's yeah. that FOMO, right? They know that if they don't spend the money now in a year, it's too late. And I think that's what we're really starting to see with some of these kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old. And Holland's a perfect example because people have their reservations and doubts about him. Well, it's Salzburg. It's a different story. Obviously being able to score in the champions, League helped solidify that um, and any sort of doubts that people had. And then when he went to Dortmund and he's scoring goals and he kept that, that momentum going, everyone knew he was built differently, but, on Holland alone, I think, you know, the movement, we talked about a lot about the movement here. And I think a lot of people, when they watch strikers, they tend to kind of look at the bigger players and strikers like Holland and think it can look a little awkward when they run with the ball or when they move with the ball, because it's like to get into those positions and to have that sort of um, that mobility, that dexterity to get to those, those tougher passes and those, you know, make those tougher finishes. But guys, he's improved, you know, consistently what seems like in in each and every match day and if he's not scoring goals he still looks like he's got the sharp movement he's quick into space he's um he's got the mental capacity he's got that sort of drive and character about him that will probably prevent him from going into these these droughts these goal droughts these prolonged ones that we see with some other strikers right and i think he he touched on some of his inspirations growing up of ronaldo um we've obviously seen some comparisons and some of the at least from his uh, mental makeup to Ibrahimovic. I mean, he's a mentally strong player where he's fit for the big stage. He loves the big moments. And those are the guys that you really look to as these guys are, there's something truly special about him. I think he's a different player from like a Mbappe in the sense that yes, Mbappe and Holland, like they're kind of following the same sort of path as being like the next, ge- next era, the next generation of elite young players. But they're showing you that there's kind of two ways to do it. That like Holland kind of has the sound bites. He's got this, you know, big, you puffs his chest out and has these moments where he looks like he's like, I'm the guy. I'm going to make my, my, my presence felt. And I think that's exactly what we're starting to see here. And when you go from Salzburg to then Dortmund and then to potentially having like another like seismic move in a span of like a year, year and a half. That's just a true testament to what people see in Holland and ultimately what his potential is. Yeah, um, and and it feels like he keeps on just scratching the surface of how good he could truly be. Because again, you know what's really funny about like the context of what he's doing at his age too is that oftentimes we get a bunch of these you know throwback videos that you see on Twitter of Ronaldo does this against um, 
this La Liga side at 19 at Barcelona, where he had his record-breaking season. And in the moment, and back then, everyone, you know, was probably taken aback by it after the move from PSV. And now it's, you know, it's even magnified more because it was so incredible what he was doing as a teenager at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And oftentimes we get so caught up in the moment on what he's doing, and everyone just wants to nitpick of what Holland is doing against what clubs and how everyone's just waiting for him to stop and not be at that level anymore. No one's really taking the appreciation of what he's actually doing now at his age, at his level, in such a short period of time, because you're not going to see it again. I I guarantee you that. And you're not going to see it for a while that you're going to see some kid this talented coming over from Salzburg, making the jump like that, still playing that great in the Champions League, every single competition he's in, where he's scoring four goals. What is it, 22 goals in 23 games for Dortmund, right? Or around that. 30, like is that, that yeah. 30, 32 and 30? Oh, Something well, like okay, then then I was thinking since of he, Since he started. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like we had a question from Johnny Bentley, right? And he said, who are your top five strikers in the world? And I kind of tried to get more specific with him and he didn't really have it. I said, <laughs> on current form, and he was like, up to you. And I was like, uh strikers do they have to be number nines and he was like well you know it's up to you i was like is ronaldo a nine because if he is then you know where where are we placing him so i mean matt who are your top five i guess um in no order i think you would have to put ronaldo there assuming we he falls into that bracket uh, we've seen him play wide we've seen him play in a two-strike formation for juve so he's playing a couple different areas but i think most project him as like a striker now a guy that kind of sits in that central area so i'm going him I'm going Ibrahimovic. I'm going Holland. Um, this is where it gets a little tricky. I'm going to probably have to throw Kane in there and then Lewandowski. Those are my five. Hmm. See, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got Ronaldo, Kane, Lewandowski, Holland, um, and then I can't really make up my mind. Mine's not really like a. I, yeah, I didn't put mine into like a top five. Sure, I just sure, gave sure, sure. My five, but I think yeah, most yeah, of yeah. us are probably going to have a similar five. Yeah, Martino, any different? Um. If anything, Diego Jota probably. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't classify him as as that. You know. Are I mean, you are you doing that on current form? It it would be current form, not you know. The funny thing is when you talk about top players at a position, it depends on how you want to quantify it. Or you you yeah. know you got to do it the past two to three years if you're doing something like that. And then if you do two to three years, you can't put Ibrahimovic. I mean, he was playing against MLS, you know, and that's yeah, it. But he, was still, he, was still go- he was still scoring a goal a game, though. That's the thing. Like, Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But it's, it's but, MLS. I'm, I'm, but, I'm but look at his – okay, so two, so, okay, so I'm, I'm going to press you on that. So two to three sure. years, right? If you, if you look sure. at what he was doing towards the tail end, um, even at Manchester United, he was still a productive striker. He maybe wasn't playing well, then 35 games a season. he was getting hurt at season. the end of that. And then if we, well, do, if hurt, we go back at the end of that, then it's Luis over Suarez. Over 50-something games with LA Galaxy, I think he scored a goal a game. And then he re- arrives at Milan, and he's been, what, 10 goals in six games this current year? I think, I, mean, I think he's a top three player in the world this current season. I do, Like, it's yeah. 10 goals in six games, 11 goals in all competitions. He's getting the assist, too, at age 39. I mean, yeah. like current form, yeah, but two to three years, then Suarez is in that conversation. He's a, he's better than him, and and it's only like we can't we can't compare the the numbers for that. And this is me being fair. He plays for my favorite team, and he's probably my favorite player at the moment. So you know, it's not like I'm I'm hating on the guy. There's, but you also have to look at impact too, like. I mean, the if impact, there's no one, no one's from, made a bigger from, impact. No one's made a bigger impact. That's what I'm saying. Aside from production, like you look at Ronaldo, he's got the numbers, but he's got the impact. Like he's so, so, so valuable to Juve. Ibrahimovic has that Elon. value plus that production. So, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like those players, like you have to kind of put those together because it's, it's one thing to be a guy who scores a lot of goals and you stat pad and you have other options in that squad. But when you look at Juve, when you look at Milan, when you look at even Harry Kane when he went down, like, I think quality the, and the coaching team is completely too. different. The team is completely different when those guys in, but they have that value plus that production. That's why I have those five, but it's all up to interpretation, right? Value, Suarez, well, Aguero, even on form. I mean, Obama Yang has had some phenomenal seasons. Like you can, like, it depends on what yeah. you're looking at it and having the conversation. Well, the other thing is like, just, just going, oh, Benzema, of course. Yeah, it's tough. I think there are yeah, seven, too. eight, maybe nine kind of strikers that you'd class, you know, in that top category. 
like the best strikers in the world. Um, right. And at the moment, I think Haaland, Kane and Lewandowski are probably the three best yeah. um, on form. But I mean, above all, if we're talking about can you only have one player, then tough to look past Ronaldo, in my opinion. But um, mm-hmm. then again, the other the other thing is, right, like we are lacking a new wave of young strikers coming through. I know we've, we've stayed on this striker section quite a long time, but... I think I read out uh, on a couple, two, three, four episodes maybe ago, I was looking at kind of like the the transfer market value for the top 20 mm. strikers under 23. And you had like Eddie Nketiah, 16th or 17th or something like that. And you had not a wide range of strikers in that. And that's why I think a lot of these teams are persisting with strikers that are quite young, that maybe aren't the quality that we're used to. And that's why Victor Rossman went for, what's it, 80 million euros. Mm. Um, so I do think that, even though these guys are getting older, like the Luis Suarez is, who is not at the same level as he was uh, in his peak Barcelona era where he scored six goals in a season or when he nearly broke the Premier League scoring record, um, you are looking at players who still are playing an ability that is higher than the potential of some of these young guys, if that makes sense. So that's why an Atletico can be Mm -hmm. like, hey, Suarez, come and give us two seasons because we know that you are still going to play at a level that is kind of similar to Jao Felix for another two years. Um, Right. Or or you're going to play at a higher level than Diego Costa or you're going to play at a higher level than anyone else that we can get. So I think it's very fair on them. But we've talked about these. Yeah. I'm sorry. One last thing. I think just the whole... Um, the is, is that maybe let more of an indication of well, there's less strikers available, or is it more so that more clubs are looking for players that are less striker? They have less of a striker mold. The Acardis of the world, guys like that, where they're looking for guys who are not true strikers, but they're guys who are more of a central forward, like a false nine type player. You know, like I think that's kind of the conversation that we can have at another time. But mm. you kind of look at it where it's like. You know, you have teams like even like Dries Mertens at, at, at Napoli for a full season under Maurizio Sarri. He was almost a top scorer and he scored like what, 21 or 22 yeah. goals. I don't have the exact number. So I think that's what we're kind of leaning towards. But I think it kind of adds to what, you, what you're saying about the, the scarcity of, of the top young number nines. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something real quick. Last point on this that you see in all sports, though. And Matt, you could even attest to this with basketball. And I know I, I, I always bring these other sports in here, but there's not your traditional centers and big men anymore. The sport changes um, because when kids are growing up and, and their idols are the Ronaldo's and Messi's of the world, they aren't like true strikers that we're used to. So when they're growing up playing positions, they like to go out wide. They like to be dropped back a little bit and, and contribute with assists and goals. It's not, you know, they, they, they just have different attributes physically too. I mean, if you're more athletic, who cares where the goals come from? Why do you have to be a striker if you're scoring goals? If you're given, you know, 15 to 20 goals a season out wide, does it really matter if you're a striker or not? Because teams are just looking like, okay, we don't have to have a striker to get that goal production. If we're getting it from the wings or, you know, our center forwards or center attacking midfielders, then it, then it all adds up at the end of the day, right? Like if we're, if, if we just need, if our goal is to get 60 goals from, our attack or whatever the number would be, you know, just tossing one out there. If you can get it contributed from 20 from this position, 15 from another, and then another 20 to 25 from, from the right wing or whatever it might be, obviously hard to do. I just think that's the direction we move in. And there isn't really as much of a need, right? Because how many teams do we see out there that are really great? Liverpool hasn't had a true number nine that's dominated, right? They get it from Mane and Salah and then whatever Firmino contributes it all adds up and it's great and they dominate and they win the biggest trophies in the world. So I just, I just think that's just a trend that's here to stay though. And it's kind of like the number 10, how many traditional number 10s are out there these days? There aren't that many too. It's just, there's, there's different we talk, positions. We talked about it off air, didn't we? You know, I, yeah. I said to you guys, you mentioned, hey, should we talk about Isco and, you know, his agent maybe wanting him to, to be shopped around. And I was like, it's crazy, isn't it? That for, Three, four, five years ago, we had Ozil, Isco, James Rodriguez, those types of players that were like almost dominant in their sides, right? They were the guys that you built your teams around. And I think it was by force that the likes of David Silva reverted into this like attacking eight, Kevin De Bruyne reverted into this uh, attacking eight and a half, eight, you know, eight slash 10 hybrids. You've got um, Luka Modric that dropped really deep from his days at uh, Tottenham to Madrid. Even Tony Gruce used to play a little bit further forward in his, um, in his earlier career. Um, 
the guys that have done really well have adapted their talents to the systems that have come through in football. The guys that haven't done really well, the likes of Ozil, who are out the squad completely, the likes of James Rodriguez <laughs> that have had to drop down the level from Madrid to Bayern Munich to now Everton. And also the likes of um, uh, Isco, who now don't really get into the team. And even if you look at a guy like Coutinho, who did really well for Liverpool in this kind of 4-1-2-1-2 formation under Bred and Rodgers, and then out wide for Jürgen Klopp, I think, you know, they looked at that and they were like, well, if we can get 160 million for a guy whose main position is a position that's not really in favor, then there we go. Even if you look at Thomas Muller, who is used to playing as like the second striker off the front and now sometimes plays even really centrally and deeper or out wide as a winger, the guys that have continued their careers and done well have adapted. And I think that, you know, the guys that are coming in now who may in one world have been tens, the likes of... Odegaard, the likes of uh, Dejan Kulisevsky, the likes of Christopher Kunku, the likes of uh, those types of players are now remodeling themselves as, well, I'd love to play as a number 10, but I do also understand that maybe I'm going to be a nine. Maybe I'm going to be a false nine. Maybe I'm going to be a right winger. Um, they don't really have fixed positions. And I think that's been to their um, advantage rather than, um, you know, what's currently going on. Yeah, um, tactical flexibility is a huge um, must in today's world because if one eleven and play style is figured out, if you just change, you know, two to three guys in the formation, all of a sudden it could be really difficult to figure you out. And that's something I think Hube is starting to slowly figure out. So that's something uh, to keep an eye on in terms of the attack. Midfield, I mean, that's lost cause. Um, so we'll, we'll stay in Italy. Um we got a couple topics there. So Ibra obviously gets another double against Napoli. Um, we talked about it. We posted the video from State of Play that obviously got a ton of reaction with Stevie Nichol. That was in, I'll just, I'll just like to give the context. That was in December of 2019 when he was on uh, ESPN FC where he initially signed. So this was this um, bet that he made with Mark Donaldson, who's a commentator for the Serie A games over here in America, that he thinks he could have gotten 10 goals within that last half of the season from January onward to finish the 1920 season. And Stevie scoffed at it and he thought he had no chance of getting it. He did end up getting 10 goals in, in that season, but he already has 10 within the first six games of this Serie A campaign. He's going to be missing the next three weeks. So it's a big blow. They did win a couple of matches that he missed early on in the season when he tested positive, but Again, this impact, um, I've, I've never seen anything like it in, in, in sports in general. Um, the impact at, at this age coming off a, a torn ACL, a significant injury of someone mm-hmm. who's played a ton of minutes prior to that injury comes back. You know, even the competition factor, you could argue that you can get worse with the competition that you do face at times, comes back to one of the top five leagues in the world, seemingly dominates brings a club that was, you know, in the gutter at one point. Um, and now they're at the top of the league, whether or not it's eight games in, whatever. Um, they haven't lost a, a, a league match since March. Um, I mean, what, what else can you say, guys? I mean, I, I mean, I talk about it nonstop, so there really isn't much left for me to say. I, I, think, I think with Ibrahimovic, too, it's, it, I, I tried to think, you know, because you, you asked about, you know, what, what can you ultimately – how we haven't seen something like this before. We've seen players – um, more or less in the twilight of their career, like maybe their mid-30s and kind of approaching the later part of their career, still produce and still be effective players, but not be to this level where they're like top of the table in terms of scoring. They're, you know, leading. They have so much value in terms of what they do on the field and those around them. And I think the closest thing that I can think of is, and this is me getting out of, of football and going to American football, is probably what Peyton Manning did with the Broncos. He had massive surgery, neck surgery with the Colts. And everyone's like, this guy's done. He's 37, 38, 39 years old. He goes to the Broncos and he wins the Super Bowl. And he plays at an elite level. It's like, that's the only thing that kind of comes to my mind. If you guys have someone who's kind of in that 37 onward range, because Ronaldo's still producing. He hasn't had a major injury. Like what Ibrahimovic had was a major injury. Like mm. that's like massive. Um, but as far as his production goes, I mean, you know, you brought the numbers up, Martino. I mean, 
this is eight games straight it scored in Serie A. That's the longest streak of his career. You know, going back all the all the He's clubs setting records for, for a club that has had more it's, different Ballon d'Or winners than any other club. And the just, crazy thing too is that he's also now what he's he's missed his last three penalties. So in, in actuality, you would assume a player like him, who's good historically from 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 penalties, he could have what thirteen goals right now in six games. So, or and, little, then, and they little, haven't little had a twenty points. league goal scorer since he left. Right. I mean, the 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 the, tra- the the trajectory he was on for this season was maybe not you know you know flirting with the Gonzalo Iguain goal scoring record, but maybe twenty five to thirty goals. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible now, but my goodness, to be producing to this level to have this such an impact for this Milan team, everyone goes the all the players kind of react and respond based on what Ibrahimovic is doing. And I think it's it's really fascinating. It's going to be really interesting to watch the rest of the way how ultimately he's able to carry Milan, whether it be to a title, whether it be to top four. If he does anything like that, if he gets them to top four, everyone's gonna everyone's gonna want to move that statue that's in Malmo to Casa Milan. And it's it's been a joy to watch. As obviously as a Milan fan, it's just I really have grown to appreciate him that much more coming back from the injuries he's had from COVID. Um, and just being this sort of player who just embraces challenges and, and embraces difficult situations. And not saying, I don't want to take a jab at Ronaldo here, but we all talked about what, you know, the comments that, you know, he made about, you know, I wanted to go to Juve, I wanted to go make, have a challenge on my hands. Ibrahimovic kind of hit it out at that. And, you know, when he first kind of was thinking about moving from the LA Galaxy back to Milan was – this that's not our challenge going from this club to a, a team that's kind of on the on the downswing and being able to bring them back up that's a challenge so if, if Ibrahimovic can can find a way to get Milan into top four and to meet their seasonal objectives this is going to go down as one of the best seasons of a player in recent years in my memory based on production based on value based on the feat of bringing a team like Milan who's had such difficulty this past decade back to being in the conversation as a serious team in sports, I mean, I can think of what Roger Federer, I think, has done kind of in his late mm. 30s, kind of going through the dip where you're like, hey, he's over the hill, he's not going to get back to the top. Right. And then he gets back into the first seed. I think what Michael Jordan probably did at 35, Tiger 36. Woods. Tiger, Tiger Woods coming back from injury. Yep. Lance Armstrong uh, after testicular cancer, even though he, he obviously cheated a lot, um, <laughs> which yeah. isn't great. So I don't know how much, how many props we can give him. But to get even in the physical condition after testicular yes. cancer to, to, to ride a Tour de France is crazy, no, no matter how many bloody um, anabolic steroids you take. Um, there's also um oh god i had one more name in my head and i can't really remember it um who was uh, it in american sports or i don't know if it's american sports or not hmm. i mean lebron james i don't know if you could put him in it but he's in he's, he's 36 and he's 18 years in and he's still yeah. the best so i mean if you if that i mean that's just entirely different i mean um there's there's just so many examples to look towards and this is and you know a lot of the times when we first saw stuff like this it was unique and you don't really see it often this is a trend we're gonna see guys know how to take care of their bodies and athletes in general you could even go with serena williams because she's just Mm. as dominant as anyone um you're gonna see a lot more of this like we talk about how great ronaldo is at his age and then we have ibrahimovic there too it's just it's just insane. But we we got to keep on rolling here because we don't have as much time as we would like. But Sassuolo Pet, um, the hipster team now, as everyone likes to say, and my boy Jeremy Bogus back, back with a bang. And that's yeah. and that's the key thing about them. They've kept everybody. They're healthy now, and they're in second. And they're just playing really well. And you know, the indicator of a great team was just how how you do when your best players are out and how do you cope with it. They beat Napoli 2-0 when they were missing Caputo and other top players in their side. And they haven't skipped a beat yet. And this was a trend that we saw over the summer too when COVID returned. Um, but they're they're just they're playing some of the best football in, in all of Europe. And I think they're playing the most attractive in Italy right now. Like I have the most fun watching them, obviously from seeing Milan win, but I mean, I did, there isn't, there really isn't anything that just the mix of, you know, getting a guy like Caputo who was just, you know, towards the basement sides of Serie A and he's in playing one of the more attractive sides, getting call-ups for the national teams. You just don't see that happen. And it's just, it's truly remarkable to see. And um, for me, they're my favorite to watch on the weekends. 
There's definitely parallels between them, Real Sociedad, and Southampton. They all have uh, young-ish squads overall. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned yeah. Caputo. They all have pretty talented managers, and they also all have a sprinkle of kind of experience in there to help them. Whether it's a David Silva or, as you mentioned, a Caputo, but they all play such different forms of football as well. You've got this kind of very, very high-pressing, aggressive style from Southampton, with um, Danny Ings being, you know, one of the best finishers in the in, in the Premier League. And on uh, Swasolo's side of things, you've got very good football on the ball, but when they're off the ball, the the counter-attacking ability of the likes of Jeremy Boga, the likes of Dominico Berardi is, is quite frightening. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, on Real Sociedad's side, when you've got a player like uh, Mikel Oyazabal, who has been touted and, uh, and wanted by, Joe's, uh, by Pep Guardiola for quite a while, um, you've got these kind of teams that have managed to keep these key chess pieces together. I know Real Sociedad have lost uh, Odegaard going back on loan, uh, back from loan back to Real Madrid, but they've kept key pieces together. The managers have stayed. Um, Southampton lost Hoiberg, but um, they, they look to be pretty assured in midfield anyway. Uh, and I think, you know, in that kind of system where you press a lot, the system is probably more important than the individuals. But they have all done really, really well, respectively. And I think there's quite a lot of parallels to draw from them. But um, Swasolo and specifically, I mean, Jeremy Boga, mm-hmm how they kept on to him after his season i'm not really too sure but look forward to see how he produces for the rest of the and, season and real quick too it's as well we, we touched on him in previous episodes i think towards the tail end of last season and, and i think me and fartino had a conversation about some of the surprise packages we've seen thus far and Sassuolo were a team i talked about so you guys can go you i had the receipts i could talk about them i have them i, I had them <laughs> in the previous episodes but i mean you look at locatelli right that emergence of a player mm. under under the Derby who is now being touted for the next step yeah, Juve of Juve's of the world, you know, some of these top clubs that really want him. He's making a real big presence in the entire national team. So again, a testament to their trust in youth players, their eye for talent. But even Domenico Berardi, I mean, guys, he's the only player to have made 10 plus goals and 10 plus assists in Serie A in 2020 calendar year. The only three other players in Europe's top five have achieved this so far. Bruno Fernandes, pretty good player, right? You guys would agree. <laughs> Lionel Messi, we all know, and Thomas Muller. So that's a tremendous company for Domenico Berardi to be included in. And he's 26, 27, guys. I think there was a point in time where a lot of people were kind of down on him because he wasn't making those moves at the ages where you'd expect a player who is of that caliber to, to make a move on. But now he's at the heart of this Sassuolo attack. He's at the heart of this title chase, which is astonishing to me. But it seems as though I think a lot of people now are starting to look at Sassuolo as maybe the the next Atalanta, the team that's next up is the young players, the eye for talent, the blending of youth and, and veterans and just kind of overachieving and just kind of being that Cinderella, that darling story. Already. Yeah, they're, they're just a really fun team to watch. And I really encourage anyone who hasn't watched them, just, just tune into one of their games, pick up any game on the weekend and give them, give them 90 minutes because I think they'll wow you and they'll really, really impress you with their style play. Yeah. Um... We'll see what happens because the purge will eventually happen. And I truly wonder if it's Deserbi first over, um, you know, some of the players there. But I think some of the players are going to be ready to make the jump. And you know what? They'll cash in on it. They're going to be making over 100 million euros in the transfer. And that could be as soon as um, uh, next summer. But we got to talk about Pet's favorite league and favorite team. Spurs at top of the table. And um, if I speak, they had another massive win over the weekend. Um, and it's funny too because Pep Guardiola just extended with Manchester City. Mm. Sky is blue, just like their jerseys, but they have 12 points and they're they have. And you know, it was weird to see a starting lineup that didn't have that had you know on the bench we had Aguero, uh, Foden, and Sterling. and I kind of looked at the lineups and I was like, well, you know, if Spurs can take their chances, this is a really good chance for them to win. Um, And that was, that was pretty much what happened for all the pressure that Man City created or all the the kind of uh, wayward shots that they had really weren't incisive enough. And I mean, when you've got two of your best three players on the bench, it's (laughs) it's always going to be a struggle, but uh, Spurs have been really, really impressive so far this season. The Son uh, Kane combo has been really good. Pierre-Emerick Hoiberg, I think, alongside um, 
Gabriel, uh, Arsenal and a few others, uh, including Ross Barkley on loan um, and uh, a load of other Villa signings. Yeah, Hamas Rodriguez have been like some of the best signings in the Premier League. Um, I think they're defending a bit better. I think Regulon is always going to be a really good addition, a massive upgrade on Ben Davis. And I think they've got some depth there as well, Lucas Moura. Um, etc and those types of players that can come in and, and fill in during the Europa League will come off the bench and I think Spurs are looking good I still see them as the third best team overall if I had to extrapolate mm-hmm. like what's going on I think City will get back in there we've got the January transfer window where I mean let's we've got to talk a little bit about Liverpool as well because a lot of people mm. message me like oh they're done Van Dijk's injured they're done now oh god Joe Gomez is injured they're done now and like I think people really you know, I think I, I mentioned that kind of like system is more important than the team thing with Southampton, yeah, but with Liverpool, they kind of have that same thing where you go and beat uh, Atalanta. What was it? Five nil, six nil. You beat Ajax as well. One nil. You beat uh, Leicester who have been really, really good this season. Three nil at home and don't even crack a sweat. Like people are still underestimating Liverpool. And it's really weird for me to see. So I, I think Spurs have a really hard five games coming up if they come through that unscathed and why by i mean why what i mean by that is like you know pick up a couple wins and a couple draws then i think they're going to be running for the title i don't think they'll win it but i think they'll get close if they get through this next period unscathed let let me ask you this question pet hypothetically speaking let's let's think more in 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 the long term towards the tail end of the season should tottenham should jose Mourinho hang on to win the title where would this achievement this please, feat no. rank please where would where would it where i know that's 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 the outcome you don't want that's 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 your worst nightmare right because you have to hear about it but from harry of course um <laughs> where would where would it rank where would it rank amongst his best achievements given where tottenham were when he took over and how sort of up and down his his tottenham experience has been so far i think it would be second after his inter milan champions league win or maybe third after the if you Porto. include the Porto Champions League right, win. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think to win with Porto is ridiculous. To win with Inter Milan and coming uh, um, treble, across yeah. the, yeah. the treble and also beating the best club football in history, I think is really, really good. I think it would be close between a Spurs title win and beating Pep's Barca with Real Madrid with 100 points. Um, I think those two would be quite uh, neck and neck. Uh, but I think the Spurs win would, would, tie, uh, would top it off. But I think... Please, please, whoever is up there, don't let it happen. Because I probably would have to quit this podcast. I'm going to be honest with you. You could get Harry to replace me or something. Like it's, uh, I'd probably quit football, yeah. While, while Arsenal's getting those results that they've had this past weekend, Pepe red card. I mean, I, that has to be that has to be two because we keep because listen, right? Like Porto, wildly successful club. Inter was still winning titles at that point. And it's not to take away from either of those feats. But winning the fucking title with Spurs, after everyone calls you finished, done, not a good manager. I'm just quoting Pet Berisha here, by the way. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fact is, if you win the title with them, after everything that was happening, Pochettino falling, and they were just at the peak of what their club was, right? As, as best of a season, as good of a season as you could have without winning a trophy. I just think it's, I think it is a top two feet and you can, inter, they're interchangeable. But La Liga, Messi, I think, I think this, this is, and, and just like in, in general in the league, the shift, the table where they're sitting at, his goal contributions, the Fati injury, um, the emergence of Jao Felix, um, and I, I think Real Madrid in, in general, I just think they're in flux right now. And it just, it truly seems like they're just waiting for the next Galacticos to come in and they're just riding out this season. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's as much urgency to win there at the moment. And that's just me as an outsider, but in general in La Liga, I mean, I'm not that surprised by some of the stuff that's going down like this, like what we're seeing from Barca, is it truly all that shocking at the end of the day? Um, at the end of the day, like we're gonna sit there and say, okay, it's crazy what Barca's doing because they still have Messi. And if you just look strictly at the names on the team sheet, that they should be doing a lot better than they are. But if we've watched Barcelona over the past, you know, twelve to fourteen months, are we that shocked by this? I can't say that I am. I mean, this is I think this is 
what we have to worry about now is not, they're not winning the title, no shot. I think what they have to really start worrying about is, is top four potentially in jeopardy, especially with this Fati injury. And if Messi's going to continue like the way he is. Um, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, Pat, I think when it was just you and I, um, every, all the question marks looming over this club, it matters. And I think it's impacting everyone on the field because nobody knows where their future lies. And, and that's just a trickle down effect. So for me, Barca should worry about top four because the title's over. They got no shot at it because they're not recouping nine points or whatever it is towards the top. And I don't see the Atleticos of the world or Real Madrid's of the world dropping those points. I think Barcelona are in a bit of trouble. Um, Ansu Fati injured. Uh, Lionel Messi doesn't look like he's bothered. I'm very interested to see who come in and replace the board and whether or not Messi stays and whether or not that is an indication of how they kind of mold their future. Because I just look at the, the roster currently. They've got some nice pieces. They've got a really good goalkeeper. They've got one uh, very good centre-back. They've got uh, a decent uh, right-back. They've brought in Serginio Dest, who I think is going to be, you know, he's one of the best young right-backs in Europe. They've obviously got a very good central midfielder, uh, Frankie De Jong, even though he's not been that good recently. Um, they've got an amazing couple of talents in Fatty and Pedri. They've obviously got the best player in the world. Um, but I just do think that you are now 12 points behind the title leaders. You have two games in hand, but I just think that if you're going to lose crunch games against your big rivals, as they've already done this season, if I'm not mistaken, against Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, you have to now rely on them slipping up, don't you? I, I Yeah. I, yeah. How many yeah, question it's, marks it's, did you just mention too, by the way? Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just, you, you know what it is too? I think it's, this has kind of been the inevitable, right? We, I think everyone kind of expected this happening and that you kind of saw the the tide shift and the kind of the this mindset shift with all the things that was surrounding Messi as well. He's kind of, this is the, the beginning of the end, right? It's just going to be a slow, slow bleeding out of Barcelona. You know, I can't find a better phrase for it, but you look at all the pieces, you know, that, that are just not ticking. The performances are not there. Even Messi's not having a messy year. And you wonder how much is contributed to the fact that the way things kind of transpired in the summer is, is you, know, you know, finding its way into his performances. And it almost feels as though Barcelona are, in a, in, are going to be in a position where they're going to have, and you guys can, can correct me on this and maybe make a, draw a better comparison. But what we saw with the uh, pre- Real Madrid before uh, Ronaldo got in there, Benzema got in there, where they were this really respected team. They had such this big stature and presence in world football because of what they achieved. But the team that just has the big presence, but they're just a team that's not as feared, not as looked upon. And I think we'll we'll get a good glimpse of it, you know, in the next coming weeks of the Champions League because you're they're teams are willing to go at them. They're will they're not the Barcelona of of the past where teams are going to try and sit back and they're going to try and play a little bit more conservatively. I think there's going to be a lot more teams that are just going to be willing to bring it to Barcelona and say, Hey, we don't think you're the team that you once were prove us wrong. We're going to go, we're going to bring the game to you. We're going to dictate everything that we're going to bring to you. And that's what I really see with this Barcelona team. I would love to at some point get a Barcelona, you know, uh, guest to kind of speak more on this as to what the future would look like for them. You'll post Messi. But I don't think anyone's really surprised at what we're seeing with Barcelona this year. It feels as though Atletico Madrid is on the, obviously on the rise. I think we talked about that in previous episodes where, you know, Jao Felix is clicking. You know, Diego Simeone looks like he's got this team in a really good position. And maybe it's just one of those years where you're going to have another club that steps in that maybe surprises, that maybe makes that next step. You know, we talked about off-air Real Sociedad, who are doing great things with David Silva. Maybe it's one of those years for like an unsung hero, a big surprise story. But yeah, getting back to Barcelona real quick before we move on to the, the final you know, segment here, it's a really worrying time for them. And you just wonder if we're going to see a massive, not a massive purge, but a pretty significant purge with some of these other players that we saw, um, you know, with Rakitic leaving, you know, Suarez, players that were fundamental to the last strong regime that Barcelona had, the last really big era. And try and at least put a little bit more trust in some of the youth players and try and change their transfer policy. Um, 
because something's got to give. This is not the way that Barcelona are going to get back to being a juggernaut that they once were. Yeah. Um, football is cyclical, as they say. Um, as we see uh, one club kind of rise from the ashes, we start to see, you know, a Barcelona of the world dwindle. Um, and it's just crazy to see how it happens or even even the Liverpool's of the world just rise. I think it, the difference is, though, that this has been coming for a little while. Oh, absolutely. How many, how many big name targets? And we, I know we exhaust this all the time, but how many of these, there's the timer. How many of these <laughs> players do we see that they spend astronomical numbers on, on top of the positions that they don't address at center back and the fullback positions. And it comes back to bite them in the ass mm. because again, this is the trickle down from Dembele. This is the Griezmann's of the world not coming Coutinho. through. This is losing. Yeah, Coutinho. Oh my God, right? And then he goes <laughs> to flourish. And the worst part is he goes to flourish where they dominate um, with Bayern Munich and they dominate Barcelona and they embarrass them. And then that's not also the first time, by the way, that they do that. The Iniestas, they haven't replaced Iniesta. They haven't replaced Xavi. Busquets is on his way out. What are they going to do when Piquet's gone? They have goalkeeper position fixed. That was their weakest one by far when they were at their peak. This is they deserved it. And then you know what? At the end of the day, what is it? What is the new board going to do when they come in? What's their outlook? Do they want to add to what they have with Messi or are they going to let Messi leave, get all these wages off the book and try and get their guys in? And how long is that going to take for them to rise for the top to the top? Because it's going to take a while. So right now, in terms of Barcelona competing for the Champions League, I don't think we're going to actually see them get that far for years. I th- I, I, that's a legitimate thing. Like, I don't know when the next time we'll see Barca win the Champions League. It could be past 2025. And I, and I don't care if I'm being brash with that or if that's a crazy hot take. I genuinely don't see that happening. And this isn't, and this is something everyone should expect because it comes from the hires, the board directors, their transfer policy, the players they get in, the players that they're replacing, um, fitness stuff. I mean, how many times have we seen them get guys hurt and they're out for weeks now because as we've seen Messi get hurt often. Um, there's other players that have been missing time. I mean, Dembele is his own thing. I don't think that guy knows how to take care of his body at all. Um, Suarez has had his injuries there too. This is, this is real. And you know what? The worst thing I think that Barca could do at the end of the day, guys, is try and break the bank to get Neymar back because I do think that's something that they would do. And I think it would be a mistake. Yeah, I think it feels inevitable that that transfer saga is going to stay and continue on. Uh, I mean, it looks like they're not going to go for Depay anymore, Matt, but, um, you know, Neymar will probably be 29 going on 30 when they try and buy him in in the summer. So that'll be a classic Barca move to spend 150 million and half a million a week on wages uh, on him. So, yeah, let's see where that goes. But uh, I guess we wanted to wrap up talking about yeah. Leon, but I suppose we've gone far too long already. And I've just mentioned Depay. So that counts, doesn't it? I, I, I think I think it's good. Mo, Mo Ali would be proud of us for getting uh, Leon in there. Um, <laughs> look, I mean, it is, it's also great to see just real quick last thought on Leon. It's not being dominated by PSG headlines and, and play and actual on the field performances. I think a lot of the league is catching up now um especially with talents and that's something we've we've been uh, documenting for a while now um because it's it's definitely a safe haven for a lot of players to go over there and we see how lucas piquetta if you even want to talk about leon because that's something we know well he's playing his best uh european football ever since he made the move from brazil so again this is it's not only a place for young players to go to make their first move it's also another place for players to go um if, you know, they have a failed stint at, you know, another top league, it's definitely a place to go get right. And there could be worse things for an identity of a football league, for sure. Um, so all the farmers comments and all that other crap. I mean, I just think it's, I think it's silly, but props to Leon too, because they were not put in a great situation, right? I mean, how many clubs, they were, they're probably the main club that got screwed over by the shortened season over in Ligue 1, right? Because they, they lost out on whatever chance they had for the Champions League. They had to go win out on the Champions League just to qualify for the competition. Um, but any other thoughts or topics before we head out here and um, give everybody uh, 
your Twitter handles and social media? No, I'm uh, I'm just again at the time of recording, we're waiting on some more Champions League football. So I think you're going to start to see who it's gonna be a great gonna move. evening. It's, yeah, who's going to move on from their groups? I think there's still plenty left to play for. Um, more big performances. I'm curious to see how uh, Holland gets on and keeps keeps this momentum because he's in blistering form. But yeah, I'm just glad to have uh, happy to have club football back and holiday season over here. So I guess before before I give my my uh, my little final send off, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Doing a lot of work for Football Italia, uh, so I appreciate the support there. We're going to be um, having some more guests on in the, in the coming episodes, so make sure you guys. Um, stay tuned for more on that. But if you have anyone specifically that you'd like for us to have on, be sure to let us know on Twitter. We uh, we love to have you guys have a say in what's going and as far as our, our our content is concerned. So we thank you for the support there. And guys, take us off. You can find me at Pet Berisha P E T B E R I S H A on Twitter. And yeah, that's mainly where you can find me. Um, and hope you guys enjoy this episode. And please do leave us more questions for our future episodes. Yes, 35 followers away from 1K. He's going to get there. Um, <laughs> so close. He's right there. we got to keep pushing it. Um, yeah, you can follow me at Martino Puccio. We're close now. I think we over. We also hit 1,000 views on the, on the last uh, Milan review that we did on the channel. So that was great. I mean, the feedback's just been amazing. And all everyone that just jumps in on those pe- post-match reviews are great. We keep on trying to get Pet in there, but I think he gets too depressed after Arsenal loss. Yeah, you so don't you really, don't want to hear really me. Different. No, after a no, nil, no, no, but, that, but that's why we do want to hear win. you because you don't want to talk. That's why we want you on because it's that much more funny. And I would know, I know Harry Brooks would love to see that. I know everybody <laughs> would love to see it. And I've gone on after losses too. It's not that bad, Pet. Um, uh, yeah, but it is bad if you want to see. A, I mean, it's great if you want to see a grown man cry. I mean. You just watch a grown man cry. You could watch Arsenal. You could watch Pet after Arsenal. Um, yeah, so you could just follow me at Martino Puccio. We also surpassed 45,000 downloads as well. I mean, it's just been truly remarkable, and I can't wait to – I think next episode we're – oh, is it next episode or the episode after? We're going to be able to announce our uh, exciting news. So stay tuned after. for that within the next 10 days or so. Look out for the social media platforms. Other than that, you could just listen to some walking. Walking.